College is like a big high school, at least in the beginning. We were all just trying to make it and adapt, which is great, but like in every video game, there are obstacles. And mine came in the form of other insecure folks, sex, and status. Insecure folks are trying to find their place in the shuffle. It often looks like crabs in a barrel trying to get to the top. My lackluster of care is what drew people around me and still does. So much of college is centered around sex. Who's doing it, who's not doing it, how to get it and how to avoid it. And well, I was getting it and others were mad they were not. I would hear rumors about people I was sleeping with, which I always found humorous because people were often wrong. I got glares from other girls because they wanted to spend time with these guys because they wanted the status that they thought I had. Honestly, I liked hanging around masculine energy, playing video games and running my mouth. I think I had more sex because I wasn't seeking it and I was being. Well, that is not how the rumor meal took it. I was practicing polyamory and non-monogamy before I had the language for it. That upset folks, again, Shame is what people put upon us. And because I was who they thought they wanted to be or where they wanted to be, I felt a lot of other shame. And some days it was cumbersome and tough. My go-to when things were rough around this time was Lauryn Hill Unplugged album, blasting in my room for hours. That was my tell that things were not going well. Status. Status is everything in this country and small groups alike. Well, in undergrad, someone gave us the title of the Black Mean Girls. In retrospect, gross. At the time, I was broke and couldn't afford many things, but attention was free, which led me into the free parties and not standing in lines. I'm gonna say a hard thing. In my third year of college, everything changed. My friend group on the outside looked fab and like we were doing it. It was a hot mess and most of us didn't even like each other. And I had enough. I started making space and spending time with others at our sister school. And it felt like less pressure and honestly, safer for my brain. Now, was that true? I mean, kind of. Fast forward. One night, I am home sleeping. I had two roommates in a three-bedroom apartment. They were both on one side of the apartment while I was on the other side by myself. I woke up one night to someone I had been with before standing over me naked. Regardless if you know the person or not, if they are not invited to a pre-conversation or plan, it's very startling to wake up to. And waking up to him standing over me, naked, erect penis, covered with a condom, was a lot. And he immediately snatched the blankets off of me and proceeded to have sex with me. I was so disoriented, but I knew that this person had an obsession with weapons and had very much overpowered me. I couldn't think past that. All I could do was just exist. Now in my later life, I know that I was fawning, but I followed the motion of what was happening to keep myself safe. I remember him finishing, getting up, getting dressed, and just leaving. No words were ever exchanged that evening. I never asked if anyone had let him in or not. See, I knew then and now that interaction 
was never about me. It was about my body and my power. I've always had a theory about my rape that I've never said out loud that I will today. Knowing that rape is about power and taking over one's body and everything in that instance, that person that raped me left a pledging session. Yes, he was in a fraternity. But the new guy I had been seeing was pledging. So I always had a theory that was, my rapist was trying to make a claim or a statement. It changed my life forever. I didn't end up telling anyone about my rape until seven years later, when I was transitioning into the field of sexuality education. But, of course, I didn't know that once I talked about it, after that, I would never stop talking about it. After that, the shame that I had already been feeling from people amplified, and I started spinning out of control. I stopped going to class. I carried a bar in my trunk. When you are young, people don't notice the party spirals much because we're all partying. But no, I carried mine and I was ready for the next drink. For the next five years, 21 to 26, I was so much fun, as it seemed. But that shame led me to guilt and the guilt was so heavy. I hurt so much that there were days I couldn't function. At the time, I was so lost, I didn't tell anyone about the rape because I didn't think anyone would believe me because I was sexually active and I was so fun. But it started to appear in my behavior. See, the shame in a weird, drunken brain was the motivation to protect myself or for retribution or both. I don't know. But I would get drunk and black out. I remember parts of me attacking guys at parties. I would fight guys at parties. I'm not proud of it. I'm sad about the past. I can never take back the harm I have caused others, even with apologies, and work on myself. I got kicked out of school, which was the best thing for me. I started to find my voice and my body again. I took space from many people. Our versions of that will all be different, but I started to do spiritual work to understand myself again. I felt like I was just a shell of myself. I found someone very close to my home at the time, And she taught me about spirituality and meditation. Honestly, I think having that information saved me. So often when folks go through harm, folks tell them to get therapy, talk to the police, etc. And I did none of the above. Do what works for you. But I couldn't talk to anyone because I had no voice and no connection to my body and my shell. While doing all of this self-work, I also realized how much my body had changed over the past few years because my old mirror avoidant habits and or techniques were thriving then. I declared then that I would take all of that shame I was feeling and release it. It was never mine to hold on to. Now, it is easier said than done. But I've worked hard on this practice and continue to do so today. And, of course, there is an abundance that I haven't been able to shake. We are always whole people. We are not, we're not missing parts. Mm -hmm. And I I think that what I take away from that when I think of myself as a survivor, when I work with survivors, is this experience of surviving sexual violence. We walk away with some really important lessons about 
other people and the world and ourselves. And this is not always the case, but I think of how, depending on how old we were when we first experienced sexual violence, I think of how as a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, I learned that sometimes people will tell me that we have the same values or it will tell me that we have the same interests and it doesn't actually turn out that way. And what I learned is that there was a feeling in my gut for a lot of that time that didn't feel totally right. And then after this experience, I understand why. Yeah. Other lessons I've learned is that people might have good intentions and still do things that have harmed me in other experiences of sexual trauma. Uh, there are lessons that we pick up about these experiences, about how to advocate for ourselves, how to ask for what we want and need, how to leave a situation when we're not, it does not feel right. Not saying that we fully are responsible for our experiences of sexual violence, that we are responsible for preventing sexual violence, not at all that but that there is like valuable data that we carry from these experiences about how to keep ourselves safe. Sometimes this feels like hypervigilance. It can look like PTSD, being cautious about where we sit in a room and if we can see the exit and if we can have a few exit plans mapped out. This is how like our brains are sh shift really dramatically after sexual violence. I see it as really protective. Yeah. I definitely feel like my life is because of sexual violence, for being a Black woman, for being a Black queer woman, for never shutting up and running my mouth. Like There are the levels of safety that I don't know if I'll ever feel again. And that is kind of daunting. <laughs> I declared at 35, I wanted a breast reduction. My breasts have held a lot of shame for me and health, a lot of guilt. People often comment around you and think that their drop-off is what you need or want. And truly, they could have kept all those comments to themselves. From my family saying how perky they were, they wish they had them when I was in my late teens and early 20s. From the statement in high school that I mentioned earlier, at least I know they like me, for me, and not just my boobs. My breasts have been the center of my body and the shame I have received cast upon me. And so, why at 35 years old? I have no idea why that became my significant number, but hey, I turned 35 last year. I could tell you that the rest of my late 20s were magical. They were now what they were. They were what they were supposed to be though many learning experiences of finding language to express myself, finding what was my idea and my pain versus what someone else was projecting on me. There are a lot of tears, but oh, so much laughter. I got into mental health because I truly wanted to learn why people do the things they do, including harming others. I moved to LA around 28, came out the closet as bisexual and began navigating what my sexuality meant to me and how it also played a role in how I saw myself and moved through the world. Truly, honestly, turning 30, it has gotten so much better. I've said that 30 was when I lost the last of my fucks. <laughs> we never lose it all. And honestly, I don't want to. I want to remember where I've been and where I'm going. 
I get to help others talk about the shame and identify what is happening within them. Truly, that is my favorite thing ever. It is a gift from the work I get to do and the people I get to meet to talk to about these things every day. I wish my body hadn't gone through all its physical pain or held on to its emotional pain. But, you know, I'm not going to say I'm stronger for it because I think that romanticizes harm that happens to people. But I'll say that my body holds on to many stories. So as I said above, I turned 35 last year. And wow, guess what? I got my breast reduction. And it took me all of my 30s building up to it. I had to tell my doctor I wanted it every time I went there. I had to document how my body was evolving and adding to my pain. The exciting part was how many folks around me were trying to talk me out of it. I would look folks in the eye and say, you do not live in my body. Shut up. Because guess what? Mama found her voice, remember? And what we aren't about to do is receive the way you perceive or receive my body. Great. You love looking at my breasts. Well, I didn't love waking up every day in pain from my neck down to my lower back. So after many years and a pandemic, I got a new doctor. And at that first appointment, he asked if there was anything he could assist with. I said, well, <laughs> and pulled out my list. And he had me start seeing a specialist. It took a few months and three doctors, but I got it approved by my insurance. I know, insert happy dance, because that was a feat. But I'm also so thankful that it happened, August 1st, 2022. I went in at 6 a.m. and had my surgery at 8 a.m. It was the scariest day. Okay, well, one of the most terrifying for a few reasons. One, I had never had surgery before. Two, I had only ever had large breasts. Three, I had just gotten into loving my body in new ways. And then I was changing. Four, new fears of healing and navigating that. When I tell you the way others haven't been able to touch me with their shame tactics, because honestly, I was too busy sincerely trying to see myself in this new way. My body wasn't mine again. It honestly felt like I was thrown backward in all the work I had done. Although not all of it had dissipated, some of it had. And also, some of those things that were really hard, I'd never looked at my body this much in a mirror in my entire life. I have never shown others my body in appreciation of how I have. I have never felt my body trying to heal itself. Have people made comments? Yes. And I hope they choke on them and hit their pinky toe in their bed every morning. But where I am now, my voice is a lot louder. And I feel like I've been taking my power back because this was for me. If someone tapped into this podcast and was like, oh, what are they talking about? What would you want them to walk away with from this conversation we've had today? Shame is often protecting us from a feeling. And when we can peel back that shame to uncover the feeling, remind ourselves that we can, there's no shame that's so big that actually something so small, the medicine is actually so small to even heal a shame that's so big. And it's actually things like forgiveness and self-compassion and saying, even if I have done blank or I have not done blank, 
I am still deserving of blank, pleasure, rest, forgiveness, compassion. Self-forgiveness statements are really helpful. So, it isn't all bad. You can use shame and guilt as stepping stones to get away from complex things. But it isn't easy. It isn't overnight. And importantly, we can't do it alone. Bodies Are Telling was written by Jiminy Eborn. This is a Broccoli production.